teammates continuing to play the game I love so much. And I was more or less alone in this like attic above a garage, trying to figure out how to build drones. When truthfully, like at many times, I'm like, we are on the brink of failure. At one time, we literally got down a $42 left in the bank account. And uh, long story short, like went door knocking, found somebody in town to clean their house, Got a call from an investor in Chicago, flew to Chicago, like got our first investor check. All these crazy things that happened to just like barely stay alive to live another day. From the University of Alabama's Colorado's College of Business, it's Bama Means Business, a podcast that reveals amazing stories most people both inspire and make a difference in our community. I'm Cole Stevens, on the show today, Andrew Asher. This is our second part to our two-part series with Andrew. We talk about the startup journey and what it was like going through the startup world, especially at a young age, coming right out of college. I hope you enjoy. So I might be getting a little bit ahead of myself on this. So correct me if I'm wrong. Y Combinator is an accelerator that focuses on more of the software side of things what I remember, at least some of the companies I remember coming out of it are stuff like Airbnb and, you know, some of that software where it's integrated with a consumer sort of, how did you guys as like a hardware company pitch yourself to get into such a exclusive accelerator? One of the things I appreciate about Y Combinator is that they're, they become very broad in the companies they consider. And it, they have anything now from like marketplace apps to B2B. ESAS, all the way to more hardware-leaning companies like ourselves. The fundamental thing that uh, a group like YC, I think, is looking for, Y Combinator is looking for, is to see that you have a very large market opportunity. So for us, we've always pitched ourselves as, we want to build this platform. The first product is a drone that can clean buildings. And in and, in and of itself, like that first product is a multi-billion dollar market. But we've already done proof of concepts or built products that can deliver packages, spray agricultural pesticides, do painting, and a host of these multi-billion dollar market opportunities. And I think that's what excited them most. They're like, wow, somebody is going to build this company and we've got somebody sitting in front of us telling us they're already working on it and they've got some interesting early proof points that they're the ones to do it. I think there's a great point, sort of like that, the market opportunity to be seized. Because like you said before, early in the episode, there was this huge delta between technology improvements and the use of still very mundane tasks. I mean, you hang yourself from windows yeah. or put yourself on sky lifts. Like that is still very dangerous. And if you can have something that makes someone more efficient and the user operator more efficient, why not? Sort of like a no duh idea right there. It's a great point that you made. So you go to Y Combinator, you raise this money. You're sitting there with, I want to say a million dollars. Obviously, people cost money, hardware costs money. You go back to Charlotte. What's next for you guys? What did you see yourself and how did you put a vision out there that others were able to get behind as the leader of Lucid? Yeah. Um, gosh, I, I'd say with each successive phase of the company, uh, the problems change, but the momentum grows stronger. So trying to get the earliest employees and customers on board felt like moving them out in because you're still so early, you're still selling a vision, and there's not a lot of like 
material substance for them to really sink their teeth into. And I think a lot of like our philosophy has proven to work out, like being compassionate and really focusing on like the quality of our relationships. It allowed us to like our first two hires, they're still with us to this day. And that's been over three years now. And uh, they're both younger engineers. And as we can probably relate to a lot of like our younger generation peers, staying at the same job for three years is almost unheard of these days. But we found people who fit the culture we wanted to build, who loved the vision of the product and the company we wanted to build. They're like, yeah, we want to roll up our sleeves and join. And similar with our customers, our earliest customers were these, um, you know, forward thinking, wanting to adopt innovator type of businesses who are like, look, we know frontier technology comes with like frontier problems and we're going to experience those, but we want to be a part of this. We think this is history and we want to be the first to adopt the technology. Um, now with you know, a, a larger team, a larger customer base. Every time you try to sell that vision, it gets a little bit easier because you're further along into really proving it out and showing that, hey, this is becoming a reality. But early on, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to be said for like the entrepreneur learning effective storytelling, because at the beginning, that's what you're selling. You're selling a story before you've really got the product team customer base that you want to build it into. That's a, a great point. One thing that has become more of a common topic that people talk about nowadays, especially in modern business writing, is something called imposter syndrome, which I'm, I'm sure you've heard that term before. Andrew, you are a very young startup CEO. Do you feel like you ever faced that or do you feel like that was ever a part of your journey? Sort of having that doubt in yourself of, am I really here? Did I really just raise a million dollars? Did I really just do X, Y, Z while you're going through this process? Uh, it, it certainly. Um, at many different phases, I had to pinch myself to be like, is this is this actually the life I'm living? And truthfully, I, I show up every day and I think about the people I work with and they inspire me. Like the people I work with are absolutely brilliant and gifted. And I learn something from them every day. And I think what's helped me the most, is, I'll use the word overcoming an imposter syndrome. Again, it goes back to gratitude. It's like, hey, I have the privilege of being in this room, being in the, those meetings. And then you also get used to it. And pretty much like every uh, large customer conversation I've had or contract negotiation, I'm the youngest person in there by decades. And at first, like, you know, I was like, oh man, this is a little bit uncomfortable, but now I've just leaned into it. I'm like, I've been in these meetings a lot. I've got the first time having these conversations. So there's something to be said by just showing up and doing it time and time again and growing comfortable. But again, the, the secret for me has typically been that, that mindset of gratitude. And it's a, a great point. Sort of like, hey, I've done this before. I can do it again. I'm just going to have confidence in building that up over time. You were named on the list of Forbes 30 under 30 recently. Can you talk about that accomplishment and what that meant for you and for the team at Lucid? It still feels surreal to say, like hearing you say that out loud, I'm like, oh, wow, like I, I did make that list. Because remember at high school at some point, I was reading through the people on the list. And I thought to myself, 
wow, it'd be so cool to make this list one day. Like, how could I be a game changer and whatever it was, my interest. So I always dreamed of it, but I never thought it would happen. And I think that's still an area I, I very significantly feel imposter syndrome is to be included on a list like that. But at the end of the day, I, I think what I also realized is like, I'm still just Andrew. I'm a normal guy. I like doing very normal things. I like to go on hikes with my wife and my dogs. I like to woodwork. I like sports. Um, but it's certainly nice to see like a, a younger dream of mine become a reality. I think it's a, a great point. Sort of that, hey, like, man, that is me. And I am in that list because, you know, we've all, especially in the business world, if you're fascinated with it, you see all these amazing people that make this list. And to make that, it must have been a huge accomplishment for you and for the team to elevate to such a level, to be recognized on a national scale. When we're breaking down work-life balance, it's something that I like talking about because I think a lot of people say there is not a work-life balance, especially when you're in a startup working the entire weekend to get a CNC machine going, for example. It's something that you have to do if you want to sell something. If you want to be that next company, you sort of have to put the grind in. And I want to go back to your college career. You graduated college in three years and you chose to work the entire fourth year. What was that like for you? And what was that grind, if you mind diving sort of into that mindset of having to put that work forward? And yeah, um, it was the loneliest year of my life. You know, I was watching my friends enjoying their final year of college, my teammates continuing to play the game I love so much. And I was more or less alone in this like attic above a garage, trying to figure out how to build drones. When truthfully, like at many times, I'm like, we are on the brink of failure. At one time, we literally got down a $42 left in the bank account. And uh, long story short, like went door knocking, found somebody in town to clean their house, got a call from an investor in Chicago, flew to Chicago, like got our first investor check all these crazy things that happened to just like barely stay alive to live another day. Um, but truthfully, this is going to sound funny, but it's an honest answer. One of the things that powered me through that year is uh, my at the time girlfriend, now wife, she and I rescued a dog and uh, he would come and stay with me. And when I would go out on these flight tests, I would bring him with me to these open fields. And it just made the journey feel a lot less lonely because I saw how much joy it brought him. And like standing out in the cold rain, testing drones really isn't that fun. But having like this companion next to me who loved it so much made it a lot easier. Uh, but maybe on some more like tactical advice. Um, I didn't learn this that first year, but I've now learned it since. Is I recognized fairly early that the best way to scale a company was going to be finding ways to scale myself. Like I never wanted to be the limiting factor of growth for the company. So I needed to be very be intentional about personal development and personal well-being. So there are a couple like non-negotiables for me. I have a pretty scripted morning routine. I work out at the same time every day. I take my dogs on a walk at the same time every day. Um, like crazy things like I end every shower of mine with like two minutes and 10 seconds of like cold water um, for a lot of different health reasons. Um, but then there are some simple things too. I read a life-changing book called The Happiness Advantage, which pretty much lays out how 
too often in life we say, oh, I'll be happy once I achieve this milestone or that milestone. And we continue to elevate when we'll eventually be happy. But this book lays out the case for how the most successful people are the ones that are able to be happy today. And it's actually happiness that propels a lot of your success. And uh, maybe the, the final piece I'll share is early on, I thought the more input I gave to the company, the more output we would give. I'm like, I just got to throw hours and effort and we'll figure it out. But I really realized like it's the innovation, the creativity and thinking outside the box that allows us to get more output with less and less input. And if I work too much, I more or less stagnate my creativity. So early on, I would feel guilty every like minute of the day I wasn't working. But now I recognize I need to have these like systematic recharges in order to be able to give more to the company. So I'm now able to like take time off and not feel guilty because I know the end outcome is I'll be able to give more back to the company. I think those are some great points, especially on the happiness side that you can't be striving for. You just have to find it internally in order to you know be that for other people as well. And you're still in your 20s. Like your career is still very young, very new. But I want you to think back. Is there any advice you'd give yourself five years ago when you were in college? What would you tell yourself if that's in school, business, or life in general? I think the biggest one I would offer to really any college student now is to take a hard look at like, what are your values? What makes you happy? What kind of life do you want to live? And explore options that may not always be traditional. Because my personal story was, I had no idea what I wanted to do when I grew up. I'm like, I'm a mega nerd. I could probably learn a lot of different things. Do I want to be an engineer, a lawyer, a doctor? I don't know. And when I went to Davidson and one of my majors was econ, most of my peers went into consulting, uh, business school, um, investment banking, things like that, which is what a lot of people do. So I just assume like, oh, that's what I'll do too. And I remember having a conversation with the gentleman that endowed my scholarship who uh, more or less helped build one of the largest consulting practices in, th in the world. And I was fishing for uh, in like a letter of recommendation to his consulting practice for an internship. And he goes, Andrew, don't do it. And I was like, what do you mean don't do it? And uh, consulting is like a great profession and don't mean to knock on it. But his advice was, Look, consulting has become a placeholder for a lot of college graduates. It's where you go to learn and figure out what you want to do next. If that's what you need, consider it. But what I challenge you to think through is what is it you really want to do and go do it. And like my personal why was I wanted to find a way to, to create positive impact in the world. And I wanted to be this positive force of empowerment by like leveraging my unique skill sets to just build opportunities for others. And I saw the greatest opportunity to do that through innovation and entrepreneurship. And again, we're still a small scale, but I've seen the customers we work with grow their businesses in unbelievable life-changing ways. I've been able to hire a team around me and you know, pay them <laughs> and support them and their families. And just like these very small things, but that provide a lot of meaning to me that I'm, I'm so glad I went on this more difficult journey 
because it's created a much more fulfilling uh, experience for me. But had it not been for that conversation, I think I might have just kind of been on the same hamster wheel without really thinking through, is this the direction I want my life to go? So I, I think my biggest piece of advice for people is, what is it you really want to do? And if that idea scares you, like maybe you should lean into it, especially while you're young, because um, from talking to a lot of successful people over the years, there's almost one fundamental truth. Nobody has achieved disproportionate levels of success without taking disproportionate level of risks and leaning into challenge. So the greatest growth and opportunities don't usually happen on the easy path. And I'll uh, I'll digress there and end it. No, I, I think that was obviously phenomenal. Lean into what makes you uncomfortable because there's always a, a very cheesy line, if you want to call it, that I've grown up with was seek discomfort. Because if you're comfortable, that means you're not growing. And I heard that in high school and it's done me a lot of good up to this point in my life. So I think those are some phenomenal words to end on. But Andrew, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate you sitting down and part of this busy announcement day for you, finding time to sit down with us here at Alabama. Or thanks for having me. That's Andrew Asher, CEO of Lucid Drone Technologies. And thanks so much for listening to the show today. If you're not a subscriber, do subscribe to our podcast wherever you get yours. And of course, check out our website at culverhouse.ua.edu to learn more about the Culverhouse College of Business and what it has to offer. And as always, roll tide.